This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. On your marks, set... Bugle, bugle, false starts. <laughs> you went too early. Uh, one guy listening in Michigan whilst fixing a broken bagel machine started laughing too early. He's disqualified. Turn off your gramophone and come back next week, sunshine. On your marks. Set. Bugle. Yes, it's Bugle 202. I am Andy Zaltzman, and just 64 years after London last hosted an Olympic Games, it's about to do something that it hasn't done for more than 60 years. Host an Olympic Games, but not just any Olympics, Buglers. The London Olympics of the year uh, 1948 plus 64. 1,912. Oh, no, that's not quite right, is it? 2012. London. Am I allowed to say that still, Chris? You're the lawyer on this uh, this team, mate. That is happening. Right, that's a, that's a verifiable historical fact. That, it's it? a verifiable historical fact, yes. I'm right here reporting exclusively for the Bugle from London. <laughs> on what promises to be the biggest event this city has seen since the plague. And then, I guess that was more of a community event. Everyone got involved, fostered a real public spirit, wasn't taken over by the corporations, and have GlaxoSmithKline peddling their bubonics range of hypoallergenic plague remedies. Just real people dying real deaths. And (laughs) joining me from somewhere else in the world, ah, it's the man who fled this country rather than see his fellow Britons enjoying themselves. It's John Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Andy, well, before we get going, um, to help promote uh, the current series of my stand-up show, currently airing on Fridays at 11 o'clock on Comedy Central, <laughs> I joined Twitter last week and never has, joining the future, felt like such a defeat. It's, actually, you know what? It's not even joining the future, is it? It's merely joining the present. But I was very wary of the whole shaboggle. Uh, now, if you wish to follow... Along with my uh, ex- extremely occasional updates, my address is at I am John Oliver. Now, I was trying to work out why I was so hesitant to engage with Twitter, Andy, and one reason was provided for me almost instantaneously when literally minutes after sending my first tweet, I mean, literally a handful of minutes, I got a message saying, You're terrible, go eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> now- <laughs> That's democracy, John. That is democracy. You know, that that is exactly the warm welcome that I was expecting, to be honest. It's quite nice to get out of the way so soon. I felt baptised in bile. Uh, but it was the speed of it that most impressed me. It was like the person involved had been waiting for six years since Twitter began, sitting up at their keyboard, fighting sleep, thinking, he's going to join Twitter. I mean, he's just, he's going to. And when he does, I'll be there. I'll be there with my bag of dicks comment, (laughs) swift as the wind. Why don't you try and get a couple of hours rest, darling? I'll watch the computer screen for you. No, it's too big a risk. (laughs) This is personal. (laughs) After that, Andy, I am truly sorry that it took me so long to join. I just... I just feel sorry for the false excitement that individual must have felt a few years ago when they thought I joined, only to realise they just sent a message saying, go eat a bag of dicks to Jamie Oliver instead. (laughs) Something I'm sure he'd consider if the bag of dicks in question was nutritionally rich and (laughs) well-seasoned. 
So uh, also very good way to uh, get right up to the minute death threats uh, as well. <laughs> That's Just, nice. You know, one, That's uh, nice. A couple of political... I it, yeah, I haven't checked it recently, Andy, but I'm get, I've got some of those to catch well, up so, on. Just look up the world's leading trouble spots and uh, make a little offhand joke about them. And <laughs> within seconds, people will be telling you that you deserve to die or to crawl back up your mother's uh, caboodle. So, um, I, I can't understand why I found it <laughs> over these years so repellent, Andy. It's clearly wonderful. That's why I asked one to me in the... Uh, I was, uh, made one little cricket-related quip about Kashmir. And that unleashed, <laughs> unleashed a small amount of Twitter hell. Thanks to you two, I get told to f*** myself every day on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I see, so I well, really welcome of, to the pain. I never think through the consequences of that, Chris. I just think it's funny. <laughs> so this is Bugle 202. And what an unbelievably historic Olympia number that is, 202. Of course, the number of seconds, 202, taken by... Sigismund Freyer and his horsey Ultimus in the team show jumping exactly 100 years ago in 1912, a performance that secured bronze for Germany. Now, of course, Germany didn't take missing out on gold and silver too well within two and a bit years. They'd sparked industrialised slaughter across the whole of Europe in the war to end all wars, if by end you mean put on the back burner for 21 years before thinking, you know what, I reckon I can top that. Uh, both Freya and Ultimus tragically dead now, we assume. Uh, 202, of course, as you don't need me to tell you. The time recorded by New Zealandette Maurice Chamberlain in claiming her unforgettable bronze medal in the women's 800 metres behind Anne Packer in the 1964 Games <laughs> in Tokyo. 202 centimetres, of course. Mm. The heights that the Ukrainian Vita Stjopina hauled her patoot over in the ladies' high jump in Athens eight years ago to take... Bronze and spark wild scenes in the streets of her birthplace of Zaporozhia, uh, with people willy nilly jumping backwards over stuff and falling onto mattresses. And 202 centimetres, of course, also two thirds of the distance leapt by legendary Frenchman Emile Torchbuff in the 1900 standing long jump event to take a brilliant bronze medal. His leap of three metres and three, sending American Lewis Shelton scuttling back to the States in floods of tears after missing out on a medal by one centimetre. Of course, the US did not take this defeat. Lying down in the standing long jump within 70 years, they jumped 38 million metres and put a man on the moon. And not just any man, <laughs> a man dressed as an astronaut. So, 202, 202, bronzes all the way, which means that this bugle, 202, will be... Probably the third best podcast you'll listen to today. Top story this week! Yes. Yes, Andy, what else? The Olympics! They're here! They're finally here! The eyes of the world are upon London, Andy. If you look up at London's majestic clock, Big Ben... You can see that it's two hands read, sport o'clock, <laughs> bong, cycling, bong, wrestling, bong, gymnastics, bong, hockey, bong, that weird speed walking thing that sometimes happens, can't remember if it's happening this time, bong, the creepy synchronised swimming thing that gives you nightmares, bong, horse dancing, bong, sport! <laughs> And that is, of course, Andy, uh, one of John Williams's amazing Olympic fanfares, otherwise known as some of the greatest pieces of music ever <laughs> written. 
I really think his fanfares should be available as an alarm clock, Andy, because that is a <laughs> triumphant way to wake up. If an Olympic fanfare is playing, you're just instinctively going to leap out of your bed and powerfully march around the room, waving to an imagined crowd of thousands <laughs> and congratulating yourself on winning the gold medal for not hitting the snooze button <laughs> while attempting to stifle your morning boner. I'm telling you, Andy, I'm telling you. Olympic fanfare clocks are the greatest idea that no one has ever had. <coughs> Morning Boner, of course, won a uh, bronze medal for Kenya in the 3,000 metres steeplechase <laughs> in 1984. Great runner. Yeah. But the point is, here we go, Andy. As we record, the Olympics opening ceremony has not yet taken place, but I'm sure they're in deep preparation. <laughs> Danny Boyle giving an inspirational pep talk to the live sheep who are going to be involved. Listen, gather round, sheep. This is a huge day for Britain, and it's a huge day for sheep. You're in the shop window tonight without having to hang from a meat hook. I want you to get out there and be the best sheep you can be this evening. Only two rules. One, have fun out there. And two, no shitting. <laughs> if you can only remember one of those rules, try to remember the second one, OK? Actually, it looks like Simon here has forgotten it already. Someone get a shovel. OK, team, hooves in. Bah, on three. One, two, three. Bah! Let's get out there and f***ing do this! <laughs> Uh, disappointing that you managed to do that whilst avoiding the obvious pun, a huge day for you. <laughs> you. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, in, I, I can instinctively avoid those things, Andy, because I am repelled by them. <laughs> well, this morning, uh, bright dawn across the whole of the world. A dawn that can be only described as morning on the first day of the Olympics. And it was greeted with two Wonderful events, John. Firstly, me receiving a new telly. I reckon those cathode ray jobs have had their day. Time will tell. And mass bell ringing around the country to celebrate oh. the start of the Olympics. And, of course, mass bell ringing across Britain is usually a sign either that the Germans have invaded or that there's a really big wedding on. And in this case, it's both. As the Deutsche National Athletic und Sporten Gejungen Gefinkel Kartoffelschaft, or Team Germany, prepares to try to haul in more gold than it has for the last 70 years, and hopefully by rather more morally upright means this time. But it's also bells to mark... Terrible what they did, Andy. <laughs> Terrible what they did. We're moving on. Terrible. It's also to mark a wedding, and this is a wedding of Britain renewing its vows with itself, yes. and more importantly, with sport! <laughs> Sports! Do you, Britain... Take sport to be your lawfully wedded sport. We do. We definitely do. <laughs> there has been an amazing outpouring of civic pride, uh, John, um, probably the like of which, actually, I'm not sure we've ever seen in, uh, mm -hmm. in our lifetime. Not since... Uh, probably not since England beat Australia in a one-off test at the Oval in 1993. But... Uh, it's been this massive outpouring of civic pride, and its inevitable handmaiden has been alongside its civic amnesia about all our other social problems. But Britain has come together to forget its quibbles, its default grumble setting, and indulge in its timeless national hobby of watching people carry a small bit of fire quite slowly. Now, I went yesterday. Have you seen the torch relay? I went in Hackney last Saturday, yeah. yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. It, it was, was a bit short. Yeah, yeah. I went, uh, I went to see two people carry this small bit of fire whilst yeah. waving at the crowd. And it was, a, it was a very emotional moment for me, John, because because I, I really love fire. Because yeah. without it, I mean, we'd be 
would be nothing as a species and nothing mm. as a planet. I admit I really welled up. You know, without without fire, we'd you know with no sun, we probably wouldn't be here at all. And without fire enough, we'd never have evolved into the people we are today. Which means my children would probably still be fish or, or lizards or something. So, <laughs> thank you, Prometheus. Your sacrifice was very much worthwhile. And of course, carrying a flame uh, around the country is a British tradition as old as Britain itself, and it has been ever since little Thomas Cramner was voted most flammable archbishop in 1556 <laughs> at the end of that year's torch reeler. And on that evidence, you can only speculate on the size of the wicker heretic they're going to burn at the opening <laughs> ceremony tonight. <laughs> well, the opening ceremony itself has, has had so much speculation around it due to it being shrouded in secrecy. And one of the stories that's emerged over the last few days is that after concerns about how expensive the tickets for the opening ceremony were, it might not actually be sold out. There are still tickets on sale for the two top price categories of £1,600 and £2,012. That is a lot of money, Andy, for an opening ceremony. For that price, I want to be able to join in the parade if I want to. (laughs) And then I want to be able to toast a marshmallow directly on that Olympic flame (laughs) if I so choose. However, organisers have promised that there will not be any empty seats. They said that uh, it's likely that they will be given to troops or children. Well, I'm glad that that is their worst-case scenario, Andy, (laughs) giving tickets to children and troops. I'm I'm glad that they didn't think that might be a nice idea anyway, even without the threat of empty seats, (laughs) just that it's fractionally better than taking the tickets and setting fire to them. Um, I don't know know why the troops get free tickets. They get free flights to and from exotic locations around the world all the time. Well, that is... Technically true, <laughs> I guess, Andy. It's hard to argue with that, and yet every bone in my body seems to want me to. I'll, t- I'll tell you who should be getting these free tickets, John, and that is child troops. Mm. That's because those, those are the, 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 the they are our future. You're going to have the whole stadium filled with kids from Sierra Leone, <laughs> now, Andy. Uh, the main excitement around the opening ceremony is surrounding who is going to light the flame. There's been a lot of guessing. Will it be Steve Redgrave? Will it be Roger Bannister? Will it be David Beckham? Will it be the Queen? Will it be David Beckham dressed as the Queen? Will it be the Queen dressed as David Beckham? No one seems to know for sure. But the pressure is on, because you've got to compete with Muhammad Ali lighting the flame in 96, the Barcelona archer firing the flame into a cauldron in 92. It's an iconic moment. And I actually have a few suggestions, Andy. I realise it's late in the day, but I think these might work. (laughs) Number one. The Queen sets a swan on fire and throws it 50 feet into the cauldron in an intimidatingly unforgettable display of viciousness and strength. (laughs) Two, we use the Tupac Shakur hologram that took Coachella by storm. He lights the flame while singing Shorty Wanna Be a Thug. Three, we use the technology from the Tupac hologram, but we use it to create a Princess Diana hologram. She magically lights the Olympic flame while also singing Shorty Wanna Be a Thug. <laughs> Apparently, you can't have the hologram without that song for some reason. <laughs> Four, Judy Dench, in a specially made safety burn suit, sets herself on fire and runs around in a circle on a podium for the duration of the games. And finally, five, Margaret Thatcher walks slowly but surely up to the Olympic cauldron and then sets it on fire just by looking at it. <laughs> I think all of those are pretty powerful suggestions, Andy, and I'd love to see any of them. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of rumours. Uh, bookies this morning slashed the odds on the flame being lit by the three-man team of Lord Luke and Glenn Miller and Elvis. And, <laughs> I mean, if that does, if they can pull that off, that would be absolutely... Oh, uh, that would be great. Absolutely sensational. The other suggestion was that the missing racehorse, Shergar, is going to fly through the stadium 
on a jetpack, uh, Los Angeles 84 style, oh, before crashing into the cauldron and being cooked by Raymond Blanc. <laughs> uh, Rumours about other parts of the ceremony include that the, uh, the centrepiece will be a ballet reenactment of the final of the 1985 World Snooker Final, in which uh, ballet ace Darcy Bustle will play the part of the climactic black ball, potted by a giant robot, Dennis Taylor. <laughs> uh, also, rumours that we will see the Queen and David Cameron jetpack jousting, with the winner getting to run the country. Uh, also, suggestions that London Mayor Boris Johnson, who has been using this Olympics to showboat like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> he will be bouncing from boob to boob on a giant inflatable Hattie Jakes. <laughs> and uh, David Beckham is set to take a role in the opening ceremony. Uh, by firing an arrow at French President François Hollande's face in revenge for the Battle of Hastings in 1066. <laughs> so it's going to be awesome, John. It's going to be oh, absolutely, I'm so absolutely so sensational. As you said, these it might not be sold out. Four billion people apparently around the world are going to watch it. But, yeah, I mean, the clue as to why it's not sold out is very much in that price. And also in the weird way that they've done tickets. Now, the cheapest ticket is £20.12. Most expensive right. is a hundred times more than that, two thousand and twelve pounds. And the thing is, you might not, you don't know what you're going to get for this. So a lot of the premium tickets have turned out to be actually shit tickets. And I bought uh, tickets to three sessions of athletics in the evening. Now you can get categories double A, A, B, C, and D. And I got categories D, C, and B for three different sessions, costing ninety five, one hundred and fifty, and two hundred and ninety five pounds. Now those seats are all in the same block within two rows of each other yeah. and within four <laughs> seats of each other. So what exactly do you get for that higher category? Well, f*** all, John. Absolutely f*** all. So that is, explains why they've been so Stalinistically secretive about the way the ticketing's been done. Uh, there has already been some uh, controversy on the very first day of competition uh, when the North Korean women's football team uh, walked off the field before the game had even begun. Uh, apparently, as North Korean players were being introduced before the match against Colombia, South Korean flags were mistakenly displayed next to their faces <laughs> in the video package. Oof, Handy. That is a country they are still technically at war with. <laughs> that is like getting Churchill a swastika-shaped birthday cake. The, I mean, he's going to eat it, but he's not going to be happy about it. The, uh, the squad walked off and uh, could only be persuaded to return when the teams were announced again with each player's face displayed next to the North Korean flag. And so kickoff was delayed by about an hour. And that was day one, Andy. <laughs> we f***ed up on a flag on day one. And not just any flag. The flag of the nation probably the least likely to not be bothered by that. There are, there are now uh, worries over other potential mistakes with flags or national anthems during the games. But, you know... Hundreds of years ago, it used to be so much easier, Andy. You would just play the British national anthem and hoist the British flag and presume that you were basically right. <laughs> it does remind you, though, this uh, controversy, Andy, of one of the upcoming marquee matchups of the Olympics. Uh, you, you always like to see rivals playing each other at sport, and there is a huge one to look out for, because on Wednesday, North Korea were drawn against South Korea in the first round of the men's Olympic table tennis. <laughs> now, I mean, what That's going to be incredible. What they haven't been able to resolve over decades of conflict, Andy, they're going to have to try to resolve with ping-pong paddles, <laughs> just like North and South Sudan did successfully recently. <laughs> if only they'd had that technology in 1950. <laughs> 
It must have been deliberate, though. I mean, you cannot possibly get a flag right. It must have been a wind-up. That's that's all. I mean, aside from just putting up a picture of Dwight Eisenhower's wang to uh, <laughs> just to remind them of uh, what went on all those years ago. I mean, that was about as <laughs> insulting as it gets. There'd been another uh, slight blooper today. That would that would that would be incredible <laughs> if you they did just put that. Picture of a penis up there, and they was they just went up. Oh, well, it's a penis, you know. You, you're in a different. Co- oh, that's Dwight Eisenhower's <laughs> penis. <laughs> uh, people turned up to watch archery at Lords today, only find that it was not open to the public. Um, well, I want to know, John. It's why not? There's some sport going on that they haven't sold tickets for. You know, they could have sold. They could have sold it out. They could have that's sold ridiculous. out the whole. As my that's schedule, ridiculous. as my schedule for the next sixteen days reveals. British people would buy tickets to watch anything in this Olympics. We will pay <laughs> to watch grown men roll around on the floor, growling and trying to give each other wedgies, or as the purists <laughs> insist on calling it, freestyle wrestling. We'll pay to watch a load of women in swimsuits give us an object lesson in how not to escape a shark attack while smiling as if they've been kidnapped and are being forced to do this at gunpoint. We'll pay to watch men paddling their asses off in canoes, even though they're not actually being chased by a crocodile and there is no danger of them being sucked over a waterfall. We will pay to see anything, John. Horses, shitting in buckets. It's anything. I'm going to see 29 events. I've already been to one. 29 more, including 17 sports I've never been to. I'm going to see the whole of the 50-kilometre walk, John. The (laughs) 50-kilometre waddle. Three and a half hours, mincing up and down the mall. And I've paid to see that because I want the rest of my life to seem more worthwhile. I've also paid to see men and women kick each other in the face. But that's another story. It was my stag night. But I thought I'd treat myself. I'm also going to see... Taekwondo. I'm going to spend more time queuing than you've spent eating hot dinners, including menu and wineless perusing time. I don't even care if Team GB's involved or wins or loses. I'm going to see the f***ing Dominican Republic play Japan in women's volleyball with my children. And I'm not doing all this because I want to. I'm not doing it all because I need to. And I'm not doing it all because I deserve to, or even because I've been advised by my shrink to, to try to cure my debilitating obsession with sport. But I'm doing it because I want to. Oh, that, that was option A, wasn't it? The point stands. <laughs> the point has nailed the dismount and stuck its arse out at the judges. Super stuff in the point, whatever it was. Oh, yeah, it was about something about archery. Oh, there's no such thing as free archery. We've always paid for archery in this country, as career-ending arrow-in-the-eye injury victim King Harold can testify. Also in this Olympic week, uh, the first annual results of the government's Measuring National Wellbeing Programme which, if you said that in a Teutonic accent, that would sound extremely sinister. <laughs> uh, they have, uh, in this Olympic week of all weeks, the key findings of that report are live on a remote island and don't work. Well, Britain is an island. It is politically and economically increasingly remote and it don't work. We should be the happiest <laughs> nation on yes. earth, John, particularly with uh, with this uh, Olympics, what I mean, what genuinely makes us happy in this country? Sadly for the government, it's not disastrous economic figures and mass unemployment, but it is Olympic fever, John. As we said, it is making Britain a happier nation for at least two and a half weeks than it generally is. But there is still a significant part of this population that tragically does not like sports, and you would have thought there must be a vaccine available for that in the twenty first century. If they can cure lactose intolerance and typhoid, they should be able to cure an antipathy to sports. People need sport, John, otherwise they start noticing reality. In fact, Mm -hmm. it would make government's lives so much easier and it would make everyone happier if they just started pumping a misosportosis antidote into the water system like they do with fluoride for people's teeth. Now, clearly, uh, this is bullshit. What makes us happy is the Olympics. 
Uh, it, the report also showed that people who are married, have jobs and own their own homes are most likely to be satisfied with their lives. Now, this is a crucial breakthrough, John, for the scientific community. Love and financial security turns out are more fun than crushing loneliness and grinding poverty. As discoveries <laughs> go, this is up there with Nike's research project that concluded that eels are not an important target demographic in the high-end trainers market. Or Alexander Fleming's follow-up to his penicillin discovery, in which, after prolonged hours in the lab, he proved that even if you bark really loudly into a test tube, you cannot make it make a test tube puppy. But happily, what also makes Britain happy is American politicians coming over here and putting their f***ing foot in it. And that, that has put a smile on Britain's face this week, John, as your potential future president, Mitt Romney, has really done... He, he has stepped up to that plate, John. He has stepped up to that plate... Covered yep. it in custard and smacked it into his own face. <laughs> That's right. One of the current guests in London is Willard Mitt Romney. He's currently on a week-long foreign tour uh, visiting the UK, Israel and Poland. The classic trifecta, <laughs> Andy. Your classic three-stop vacation right there. Start in England, end in beautiful downtown Warsaw and swing by the Wailing Wall on the way. Uh, Romney's is, in the on, UK. Hang on. Is, was that not... The exact itinerary that Hitler had planned out in 1940. <laughs> I, think it, I think it basically was. Uh, Romney is in the UK to attend the Olympics opening ceremony and meet various political leaders over the next few days. And as you say, he managed to put his foot firmly in his own face, almost straight away, saying that there had been disconcerting signs ahead of the start of the Games and questioned whether Britons would truly celebrate the Olympics, to which there was an almost instantaneous <laughs> response from Britain of, F*** you! Shut the f*** up, you f***ing f***! <laughs> Go eat a bag of dicks. And this this is his first major trip abroad, Romney, as the preemptive Republican nominee. And it went badly straight away. England seemed to take an immediate dislike to him. It was it was supposed to be a strong trip for Romney. He was chief executive of the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City in Utah in uh, uh, 2002. But it really does not seem to be working out well. Uh, Romney said, it's hard to know just how well... It will turn out this Olympics. Uh, do the British come together and celebrate the Olympic moment? That's something which we only find out once the Games actually begin. So he believes that we may not be up to this, Andy. Of course, it's worth noting that he also believes, as a Mormon, that at one point Jesus lived in America. So <laughs> he's a man of strong beliefs, though those beliefs may be misplaced. <laughs> How the f did he get there? I guess it well, was magic, and he probably just flew on a donkey or something, did he? Yeah, or like uh, I think his feet turned into jet skis. To be honest, <laughs> I haven't read the full beliefs of the Mormon system. <laughs> I think it is the feet jet skis, yeah. though. Well, um, but don't don't read them, John, because uh, they are pretty persuasive. They're pretty, <laughs> as me and my many wives will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Romney, uh, Romney also referred to uh, the leader of the opposition in England and the uh, leader of the Labour Party, Ed Miliband, as Mr. Leader. In a press conference, which is a little bit weird. He either, he either seems to think that Ed Miliband is a North Korean-like dictatorial figure, or, if he's, or he's accidentally revealed that he has sadomasochistic feelings concerning Ed Miliband and sees him as his sexual dominatrix. Oh, Mr Leader, thank you for having me in your country. 
I'm so sorry I insulted your Olympics preparation, Mr. Leader. I've been so bad. I need to be punished. Please, can you drip hot candle wax on my balls, Mr. Leader? Please, please. I've been such a naughty man. Uh, amongst the other things Romney said, he predicted uh, that the games would be shit, a big pile of shit, that the opening ceremony would be, quotes like a 10-day-old souffle in a nursing home, and that star <laughs> British uh, swimmer Rebecca Adlington would either dissolve or be eaten by a walrus. He also claimed that the last decent thing London organised was chopping Charles I's f***ing head off in 1649, and went on to claim that he'd rather examine the last known stools of roadkill badgers than attend the 100 metres final. That he oh, would... how can he say that? <laughs> How can you say that, Andy? He said that he wouldn't do the Queen even if she went down on her royal knees and begged me. And that it wouldn't surprise me if Tom Daly, the diving star, was fatally injured in the 10-metre diving because someone had taken the plug out of the diving pool and there was no water in it. Romney then scratched his scrotum and said, There, I've just done the most productive thing to happen in Britain since the Blitz. After which he claimed (laughs) the Stratford area looked a f*** of a lot better after the Luftwaffe had given it the once over than it does now before suggesting that the whole of Team GB probably suffers from either herpes or giardia and that the Olympic Stadium would fall down if anyone farts in it. And even that Who the much... is running his campaign, Andy? <laughs> this is the worst things he could say. <laughs> a much-lauded velodrome is a kind of donkey shit wooden shed an American could put up in an afternoon but wouldn't bother <laughs> because it's shit. <laughs> Romney, who did not actually say any of these things but by the look on his face probably wished he had, later backtracked <laughs> and predicted that London would hold a, quotes, very successful games before sniggering to himself, coughing, oh shit, and predicting that the basketball arena would blow away if the wind never got above 10 miles an hour. (laughs) There have been a number of angry retorts against Mitt Romney, including even from David Cameron, who pointed out that the 2012 Olympics were taking place in a busy city, rather than, I quote, the middle of nowhere, seemingly taking a shot at Romney's Salt Lake City Games in Utah, which is the dictionary definition of the middle of nowhere. So... Wow, Andy, when even David Cameron is calling you an arsehole, <laughs> you are a huge arsehole. <laughs> and just as Romney was trying to put this diplomatic fire out, a passage from his 2011 book uh, started getting passed around the internet yesterday. His book was called No Apologies, and one part of this reads, and again, I quote, England is just a small island. Its roads and houses are small. With few exceptions, it doesn't make things that people in the rest of the world want to buy. And if it hadn't been separated from the continent by water, it almost certainly would have been lost to Hitler's ambitions. Well, well, Mr Romney, um, I guess, to be fair, we, we needed the assistance of water to defend ourselves because America certainly wasn't f***ing helping for a while in that war. Water, to its credit, was involved right from the starting pistol. <laughs> But you know, and also, supposed- also, Romney, you are fucking welcome for us helping to create yeah. your country. You're fucking yeah. welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't think much of Britain, then you start start speaking Iraqi or whatever else you'd be speaking. <laughs> if it wasn't for us, if we hadn't annihilated the Native American population <laughs> and tried to subjugate the people who were there, and eventually you'd have been speaking French or Spanish <laughs> or or possibly something. Else. The point is, you're welcome. You're welcome. Not Iraqi. This is the- Iroquois. This was supposed to be a goodwill visit to Romney, but maybe 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 this is just part of Romney's seduction style, Andy. Maybe he seduces people by insulting them. This maybe this is how he got his wife. He just walked up to her and said, "Hey, and you're 
fucking bitch. <laughs> Let's go out for dinner sometime. Don't eat too much, though. You're looking puffy. <laughs> That's basically what he's done with the American public, isn't it? <laughs> I don't fucking pay tax. Suck my nuts. Suck my nuts and vote for me. You two are being both very sweary and very nationalistic today. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all those flags. It's the Olympics. <laughs> Olympics. It's the Olympics. North Korean wedding news now. And, well, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, we speculated about the mystery lady seen on the pudgy arm of Kim Jong-un, the uh, North Korean leader and hereditary crazy gene recipient. Uh, she was rumoured to be the singer of magnificent songs such as Excellent Horse-Like Lady, a song title that amazingly is not a joke. Well, <laughs> good news and bad news regarding that. Bad news, sadly, it was not her. Good news, it was someone else, and he married her. So after after mounting speculation of whether the woman was his wife, lover or sister, which is some pretty special... Sexy speculation, Andy. <laughs> Apart from that third option, because if there's a grey area there, you have yourself a problem. Uh, the the name of the woman was announced on North Korean state television on Wednesday. She was revealed to be 23-year-old Ri Sol-ju. Uh, they're definitely married, but the wedding may have been as long ago as 2009. I feel so terrible to be so late on this, Andy, but let, let me just take this opportunity now to say congratulations Resold you on the happiest day in your miserable life. There you go. <laughs> it turns out that she too may have been a singer, Andy, just like uh, the previous girlfriend that he was rumoured uh, to have been with, Kim Jong Un. Uh, so he's clearly got a type, Andy, and that type is women who are terrified of him and, uh, and who can also sing. But most importantly, the cowering part. <laughs> They were photographed uh, visiting a brand new amusement park, although it's not clear precisely what constitutes amusement in North Korea. It's uh, Maybe it's just looking at a pizza through a pane of glass. We don't know. Uh, the, the, the details are so secret, uh, as you can imagine, with North Korea, but there have been some leaks of his wedding vows. I can read them out here. Um, this was one at Do You... Kim Jong-un, take this lady to have and to terrify from this day forth. Do you promise to use her as a photographic prop and to parade her around like a nuclear warhead as long as you both shall live? I do, he was uh, supposed to say. Uh, and then the response of Val said, uh, Do you, re you take this man to have and to not answer back to on threat of execution, in fatness and in wealth? Do you promise not to criticise him when he wants another 60-foot-high portrait of himself somewhere? And will you live a decadent life, forsaking all others around you in the country who are dying of starvation? And do you promise not to look at a new statue of him and say, I think it needs a bit more bronze around the jowls, darling? <laughs> and if you do, do you promise not to complain when you are executed? And do you promise at no point to suddenly wake up in the middle of the night screaming, holy shit, what are we doing? This country's a huge mess. And if you do, you understand that whole execution thing. Thing, skip to the end. You do. You do. Your emails now, and this one comes in from Katie on the subject, The Bugle is my co-pilot. Dear Andy, John and Chris, I recently moved from Boston to San Antonio for work reasons. A likely story. It's been rather a big change in climate, both barometrically and politically. For instance, <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> Katie's absolutely right about that. 
For instance, saying it's 103 degrees in Boston will be a topic of great interest, while in San Antonio it's fairly commonplace. On the other hand, saying, wasn't the Supreme Court's ruling on Obamacare great in Boston would be fairly commonplace, while in Texas it causes an ever so slightly different reaction. In order to get here, I had to drive about 2,000 miles. It took five days to do so. Before making this trek, I downloaded as many Bugle podcasts as I could find and listened to them on the way. I listened to the Bugle in 11 different states, geography oh quiz, God. and I oh just wanted God. to say thank you. On this really? journey to places <laughs> unknown, I found the Bugle to be my constant, my North Star, if you will. <laughs> North you need star. to buy yourself a real f***ing map, Katie. If, yeah, if you use the Bugle as your North Star, you're going to end up driving into a lake. That's right, and you deserve to end up in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. And she goes on to say, the places may change, the bullshit remains the same. <laughs> it's quite profound, that, isn't yeah. it? It's quite a profound thought from Casey. Well, that's been the true. places may change, that's... the bullshit stays the same. It's been true ever since people started jotting down uh, yeah. things on bits of stone and claiming God said them. What's the name of that uh, the... town we were going to invade? Oh, that was... Oh, uh, I remember. Paris? God, you, you sound like Caesar there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, so glib. What was it? Oh, I can't Next remember. Next year. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Bring me my horse. Um, uh, we have another email here from Ian Kerridge, who says, Andy, John, and that really nice Chris, I need help. He says, I really need you to pass on a message to another bugler for me, please. Could you please tell Liz that Ian is sorry? He's not entirely sure what he's done wrong, but whatever it is, he's sorry. Liz, Ian apologises, he's sorry. I'd be ever so grateful if you could do this for me. <laughs> Looking forward to buying some Bugle merchandise. I trust there'll be T-shirts and a special Bugle monogram T-shirt cannon. Ian. <laughs> well, well, I mean, we've done it, Ian. That raises more questions than it answers, doesn't it? It kind of does. And then we've apologised for you. I mean, is Ian a uh, war criminal? And is Liss a yeah. judge in the Hague? That's... <laughs> and is that going to be enough? Or is Ian a regular person? And is Liss... Six feet underground. Can she hear that apology? I don't know if I want to get involved in this, Ian. Or is Liz a brute? Yeah, if you can hear us, Liz. uh, Ian is sorry, but you know, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that apology. Well, Liz also, John, is a village in Hampshire, in southern England. What have you done, Ian? I mean, what have you done to that village? Is there anyone? If if any if anyone is still alive in Liss, please <laughs> contact the authorities as a matter of considerable urgency. Buglers are advised not to approach Ian. He is clearly an extremely dangerous man. Maybe there's a knob on the school roof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that! How good would that be? Olympic opening ceremony. They pan back at the end, oh, and there's a flaming oh. penis on the roof. That would be sensational. A sixty-foot flaming penis visible from space. That would be the most British possible thing. That would be as British as oh. firing baseballs off an airship in, into <laughs> yes. a flotilla of jet skis as American. That would be great. Let's have it, Danny Boyle. Let's have the penis on the roof. Well, that is it for Bugle 202, the final Bugle recorded before the official beginning of the Olympics. You can feel the history in the air. Now, from uh, tomorrow morning, 
you'll be able to get daily Londinium 5,772 Nemean Games micro bugles. Now, I think legally <laughs> I've covered my back. I'm using the Hebrew year. So I'm using both my <laughs> Jewish heritage and my classical education. Covered, covered. <laughs> the Londinium uh, 5772 uh, Nemean <laughs> Games, which we're all very excited about. I'll be doing daily micro bugles, which Chris is going to put up uh, early in the morning, or basically overnight each yep. night, to uh, the micro bugle breakfast. <laughs> How about that? This is an exciting new dawn Yummy. In, uh, in the history of broadcasting. I'll be, I'll be able to get them on the normal iTunes and SoundCloud feeds uh, and the website, uh, <laughs> uh, thebuglepodcast.com, and our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. It's no fun when you get it right. And yeah. don't forget, you can follow John Oliver on at I am John Oliver. Yeah, you can. Wow. Well, mate, yeah. you've, uh, this is a very exciting... Uh, in fact, we had a couple know. of emails I in asking whether don't it, was, know how, yeah. it was genuine. It, it is me. It is me. I, I don't know how long I feel or how long I'll be around yeah. for. But the point is, Andy, it just doesn't matter because the Olympics are here. That's right. And I'll be the doing uh, also sporadic Olympic updates and lies on the at Hello Buglers Twitter feed as well, including... Oh. When are you going to do them, Andy? Uh, going to do them from my heart all the time, John. That's right. That's right. The Olympics are not just for a few weeks. They're forever. Please. Enjoy the Olympics, buglers. Please let there be a jetpack. That's all, a jetpack and a penis on the roof. That's all we ask. One massive jetpack and an even bigger penis. And the live sheep, you promised those. I, I do expect those delivered. Sport, Andy! Sport! May the sport be with you, buglers. You and also with you. Long live sport. In nomine sportis. Amen. Come on, sport! <laughs> Come on, sport! Eat Big Macs and drink (laughs) Coca-Cola. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>